All right, uh, today we're going to do something uh, <clears throat> out of the book of Judges, chapter 7, and I want to encourage you just kind of to, to be aware of that. Um, I want to dip back into the Old Testament, but uh, before I do that, for whatever reason, I feel like there's an opportunity to give you here a little sermon in a moment, and so I'm going to give you a sermon in a moment, and maybe you're like, hey, we don't really want the sermon in the moment, we just want the real deal. Well, both of these end up being the real deal, and so it's going to be okay, I promise you. <laughs> and this is what I want to share with you, and I've been watching um, things online at Asbury. I don't know how many people of you are, are aware of that. Um, Pastor Janice and I have been over there twice now, and um, I struggled to to get over there on Friday. I wanted to go over again, but wasn't able to because uh, uh, work and other things that were complicating my life that day. Uh, and so it, it's okay. It's not a problem. But I've also seen a lot of people um, that felt the need to um, like think, uh, you know what, I need to criticize this. I need to say this is or this isn't. I need to, to be the one standing in the gap to make sure that all of you silly Christian people that really barely know Jesus except for the last 70 years of your whole life um, aren't going to be fooled by these young people at college. Okay, so I, I just started processing that out, and I, I'm dumbfounded at the number of people that are posting, this is what a revival is, or this is what a revival isn't. And, and I just want to uh, just weigh in a little bit without going on social media and starting an uproar or a fight, okay? And, and you can thank the Holy Spirit for that. Um, seriously, those of you that know me, you know, okay? If you know, you know. Here's the deal. The word revival just uh, reflects that something has been brought back to where it was. It was something, and then it got re. See what I'm saying here? When you add the letters re to the beginning of the word, that means you're reestablishing, redoing, rebreathing, rebringing to life. And so, as my wife says it, she says it this way if there's revival, that means there was once vival. And so now there's revival. And it's like, that's exactly it. So when people are saying, and, and, and you see it, and they're saying, well, how many people are surrendering their life to Jesus? I'm just going to tell you right now, in a revival, I don't expect anybody to surrender their life to Jesus. I don't. Because that's not the definition of revival. The definition of a revival is to be stirred back into or to be revived back into where you once were. You once walked with Jesus and then you started going to church and being a Christian and you were doing a great job and then the world came in on you and then you started getting bored with Christianity and church and some of you are still sitting at home. You can go to the store, you can go to the movies, you can go sit with crowds of people. But when somebody says, hey, it's time to go back to church, you're like, I don't think we're ready yet. Okay, you need to be revived. You, you need to reestablish yourself. The fact of the matter is, revival is seen, and I'm not gonna say defined, Revival is seen in the repentance of Christian people, not because they're wicked, awful, nasty sinners again, but simply because they let the spiritual things that really matter become ho-hum and complacent in their lives. Simply because it was more important to go over here and stand up for something that you really believe in rather than go across to your neighbor's house and say, hey, uh, you understand you're going through a tough time. Can I pray for you? Can I invite you to church? Can I talk to you about my relationship to Jesus? Here's the deal. At the end of the day, Jesus left the planet in Matthew 28. And he said, this is what I want you to do. I want you 
to go and make disciples. Now, you can let yourself off the hook and say, Pastor Joe, he was talking to the 12 disciples, not to me. <laughs> I just want you to know that there's nothing in the New Testament that supports that specifically. That all are called. And you can say, yeah, but my part is just this. And I'll tell you that when you see Jesus, he's going to ask you, hey, I poured gifts into your life, spiritual gifts. Some of them you accepted, some of them you shunned. And when I poured those gifts into your life, I poured them so that you could tell other people about Jesus. And you chose not to do it. What will I say when I stand in front of Jesus the Christ and I say, I know what your teachings were on sexual morality, on lying, cheating, stealing, and witchcraft, and, you know, Paul's favorite, murdering people. And God willing, we'll come away from all of that, but we didn't. Because we need to be revived. We need to just simply say, God, I woke up this morning and realized I'm not doing what you asked me to do. I had bigger plans for myself than that. And God is saying, hey, I'm waiting on you. And he's not mad at you. He loves you. So let's you and I just stop and have a prayer right now because we know without coming forward and doing all the things, that, you know, the, the religious things, we know that there is a place in our life somewhere where we're missing the mark. We're not spending time with God. We're not using language that glorifies God. We're not talking about God. We're not inviting people to come and know God. God forbid, but sometimes we're not even hungry for God. And that's what's going on in Wilmore. That is just hungry people. That's all it is. And when that begins to quicken inside of our souls, you'll be amazed at what begins to happen inside of your physical being, your home, your relationship to Jesus. And we don't have to go anywhere for that to happen. Because God meets us right where we are. Right where we are. That doesn't mean don't go. I went twice. Probably should have gone a third time just to straighten me out a little bit. But it was worth it. So let's just pray. Father, as we come before you right now, you've given me a word to share, and I believe it with all of my heart, or I wouldn't share it. <clears throat> At the same time, Lord, I just want to ask and pray that you would hear us say, forgive me, Lord. We don't want to depend on these lights. We're not interested in putting on a show, Lord. We want to create a community of believers that will make blankets and give them to the police. We want to create a community of believers that will get behind a couple that believe that they can create an entity that will help serve felons and people trying to get back on their feet. God, we want to be a community of people that when you say go, we go. That we are, in fact, God singing with all of our hearts but doing with all of our lives, chasing after you. And God, I just ask and pray that you would meet us. And so we say, come Holy Spirit, right here, in this place, in this word, in this music. We thank you for this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. <clears throat> Back to our regularly scheduled programming. Uh, Judges chapter 7. 
This was actually going to be, we've got a pulse service tonight, and if you're not familiar with what a pulse service is, it's just an extended worship time where we just chill, relax, and we just worship. That's what we do, okay? And so we're going to gather together tonight. We're, going to, we're just going to worship God. We're going to you know, maybe share communion with each other. We do have a baptism that's going to take place, and if you surrendered your life to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you would like to be baptized, I would love, or the other pastoral staff here would love to talk to you about that, if that's something that you would like to do. Here's the thing. Um, Peter says, repent and then be baptized, okay? So they're pretty much connected to each other, not by years, okay? But they're connected by moments, it would appear in the scripture. And it's, you're not a sinner if you don't do it, but here's the deal, okay? It's just the announcement to the whole world as they watch you get baptized that you've chosen to surrender your life to Jesus, okay? And so that's Pulse in a nutshell. Um, and I had this big message already for Pulse, and I was anticipating God doing a great thing, and it's all awesome. And as I was sitting in my office um, at the beginning of last week on Monday morning, after I got through the staff meeting, the Lord said, what I want you to do, I want you to revisit the little tiny message that you had for Pulse, and I want this to be for Sunday morning. So I wrote a different message for tonight that I believe that the Lord laid on my heart, and this is where we are. So I'm taking you to the seventh chapter of the book of Judges, and we're going to talk about a guy named Jerubbaal, okay? Now, you may not know who Jerubbaal is. But if I say I'm going to take you to the seventh chapter of the book of Judges and we're going to talk about a man named Gideon, then you say, oh yeah, I think I know who Gideon is. Okay, it's the same guy. For whatever reason, in Judges chapter 7, it opens up and Moses, whoever's writing this, Joshua, whatever, um, it's not Joshua, um, it, it, he's saying, early in the morning, Jerubbaal. And I'm saying, who's Jerubbaal? And he puts it in parentheses, this is Gideon. So we know who it is, Okay. So Gideon and all of his men are camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near Morah. And the Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men for me to deliver Midian into your hands, in order that, the, that Israel may not boast against me and that her own strength saved her. Announce now to the people that anybody who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. Okay? But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will sift them for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water, and there the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. 300 men lapped with their hands to their mouths, and all the rest got down on their knees to drink. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give Midian into your hands. Let all the other men go, each to his own place. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites to their tents, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and the trumpets of the other 10,000, or actually um, um, 20, oh, excuse me, almost you know, 30,000 people. So the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley, and during that night the Lord said to Gideon, get up and go down against the camp, because I'm going to give it to your hands. And if you're afraid to go down there and attack that camp with your servant Purah, he said, and listen to what they, excuse me, if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Purah and listen to what they're saying. Afterward, you'll be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Purah, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp. The Midianites and the Amalekites and all the other eastern people had settled in the valley thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sands on the seashore. And Gideon arrived just as a man was telling his friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. 
A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, this can only mean nothing other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hand. When Gideon heard the dream and, that, and its interpretation, he worshiped God. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, get up. The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands, dividing the 300 men into three companies. He placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. And he said, now watch me, follow my lead, and when I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all those who are with me blow our trumpets, and then all around the camp blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just as they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets, broke their jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. They shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And while each man held his position, they did not run down into the camp. They stayed up on the hillside blowing these trumpets, okay? It says, while each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. The army fled to Beth um, Shittah, towards Zerah, as far as the border of Abel Mahola, and near Tabath. And the Israelites from Naphtali, Asher, and all of Manasseh were called out, and they pursued the Midianites. Gideon sent men, uh, messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites, seize the waters of the Jordan ahead of them as far as Beth Barah. And all the men of Ephraim were called out and took the waters of the Jordan as far as Beth Barah. They also captured two of the Midianite leaders, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb and Zeb at the winepress of Zeb, and they pursued Midianites and threw, uh, brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon, who was by the Jordan. And that's the whole story of what's going on here. Now, you may or may not be um, familiar with Gideon, and Gideon was a man, as Israel, as Israel was being persecuted by the uh, uh, Midianites and the Amalekites, they were all hiding, and the fact of the matter is, um, the, uh, the, the servant of the Lord showed up and found um, Gideon in the wine press trying to thresh his wheat and hide from the Midianites so that they would not take his wheat. And um, um, the Lord said, hey, um, you know, uh, the angel will say, Lord, I, I said to Gideon, said, Gideon, you know, you great and mighty warrior, who's going to free your people? And that's my, that's my paraphrase. And Gideon said, if I'm so great and mighty, then why am I down here and why are, is this happening to us? And, and the, the Lord said, listen, this is what's about to happen, and you're the guy that's going to do it, and this is how it's going to go. And he's like, ah, I don't know about that. And then he made himself available, and then we have what we refer to as making a fleece before the Lord because he said, if this is true, let me just throw this fleece down. And then he said, suffer me to do this again. If this is true, let's throw the fleece down. One day it was wet, the, gr the ground was um, dry, and the next day the fleece was dry and the ground was wet. So Gideon knew that he was picked to do this, and now we're at the place where the Lord said, now it's going to start happening and this is going on this is a picture of a man that God called to a mission very much like Jesus Christ called you and I to a mission we are called to to make Jesus available to give an invitation into the kingdom of God to our friends and our family and the things that are going on around us we're there and this man 
in turn called as many people together as he possibly could, and it would appear that without gathering all of the Israelites, that Gideon, Jerubbaal, was able to call 32,000 men to his side. And he expected with 32,000 men to go down and take on um, the Midianites. And, and now what I'm looking at is this great number of people that he called together, and I love the way that the Lord puts this. He says, Gideon, there are entirely too many men with you. If you go down and you're able to defeat the Midianites, then what's going to happen is you guys are all going to get proud and say, we did this from our own ability. We earned the money. We, we slayed the giants. We did it all, and God didn't have anything to do with it. And he's not, he said, you're not going to take my, my glory. You're not going to do that. And this is what he said. He said, you go back to those 32,000 people, and I love this. And I just saw this this morning as far as like preaching a message on it, but I'm not going to. He said, um, the Lord said, Gideon, you tell anybody who's scared to go back and sit in their tent. Isn't that just like our God? If chasing after me terrifies you, I'm not repulsed by you, I'm not disgusted by you, I'm not through with you, but you don't have to be a part of this fight. So 20,000 men. Two-thirds, basically, of Gideon's army said, we're scared. Yep, that's me. I'm, I'm, I'm not called to do this. You know, I, I need to go back. You know, I want to see my kids, my grandkids, my great-grandkids. Uh, I, I don't want to go down there and get killed because, um, well, you'll, you'll see here in a minute, okay? And so 20,000 of them turned back, and it's like, you've got to be kidding me. He's left with um, 10,000. Rough numbers here. And so the Lord says, you've still got too many guys. He said, this is what we're going to do. You go down to the creek, and you tell everybody to get a drink of water. I want you to go down. I don't know how you watch 10,000 people. I, I just don't, okay? But he said, I want you to take 10,000 people down to the creek, and I want you to watch them. He said, you tell them all, get a drink. I, I, do you just line them up all the way down the river and, and put people on the other side and say, when I say go, everybody drink? It's like, is, is this like a festival? And that's what happened. And he said, everybody, and I don't know if you've ever done this as a kid, out in the, in the, you know, you can't do it anymore because there's so much toxins in the creek, but I remember doing this as a kid. You get down on your hands and knees and you put your lips in the cold water so you don't have to stick your hand in it because it's cold. And you stick your lips in it and you go, <laughs> like that, and you start sucking. Well, of the 10,000 people that went down there, 300 didn't do that. Everybody else wanted a big drink. 300 put their hand in the water and went and, and did this. And God said, okay, send those other guys and just keep the 300. That's all I want you to do. Now, 300 men against an army so big that you can't even count their camels. And most people in the army are on foot so they're not camel riders. So you can be assured there was way more men than what you might think when you counted the camels or attempted to count the camels. The, 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 the valley is just smothered with armies, with the Midianites and the Amalekites. And so initially you've got 32 men behind you. And I don't know how you feel, okay, but I'm thinking if I'm there in the alley by myself and there's like five or ten bad guys in front of me, I'm like, this is not going to go well for me. But if I'm in the alley and I've got 32,000 people and the bad guys are in the alley coming at me, I think we've got a chance. This is going to get dicey. It's going to be okay. 
But then when somebody says there's, there's, there's 400, I mean 137,000 um, people in front of you and your 32,000 men are behind you and you're like, well, Lord, uh, I'm willing to do it. Uh, I'm willing to give it a shot. And the Lord says, not yet. I want you to do it with a, with a percent. Send everybody else home. 300. I don't know about you, but at one point, I think Gideon was like, yeah, we're going to do this. And then there was a point, and he's like, I don't even know if I want to lead them down in there. I don't know if 300 people can go down in there and make a difference. And I love that the Lord is still dealing with Gideon's fear, and he says, listen, if you're a little nervous about this, why don't you go down in there and listen to the people in the camp? I'll give you some affirmation. And he runs down in there just as somebody shows up and said, I had a dream last night. You ever gone to work and somebody sat down and said, I had the weirdest dream last night. And you're just thinking in your head, is this going to be a long conversation or is it pizza or is there a point? And you know you've been there. You've been there. You probably were the person with the dream. And you wanted to share it. And this guy down in the camp is like, man, I just had this dream. It's the weirdest thing. This great big chunk of barley loaf just came rolling down the hill into this valley and knocked the big giant tent clear over. And the other guy right away knows who he's there to kill. They're there to wipe out Jerubbaal. They are there to kill Gideon. And he says, I'll tell you what that dream is. That dream is we're going to have our behinds handed to us by this Jerubbaal guy. I don't know what to think. And Gideon's like, whoa, that's all I needed to hear. If they're already afraid, and he goes running back and says, the Lord's done this thing, just need 299 more of you guys to follow. Just need 300 of us total. We're going to go down in there. And they go down in there, and he gives them a pot, and he gives them a torch and, and, and trumpets, and they go down in there, and they're standing around the rim or maybe just down off the rim of this thing, just in a big circle. they got their pot, their fire hidden and all that stuff. And then all of a sudden, um, um, Gideon just smashes his pot and picks up his torch and blows his horn, and 300 people are around there. Listen, in the middle of the night... When it's, there was no street lights down there. You know that, right? Okay, this is like before electricity. Okay, so they're down there in real dark. It's, it's dark. It's, it's kind of like real dark, like when you're in the woods before it's time for the deer to come out and, and you're going to bow hunt. It's, it's that kind of dark. Like, is that a bear? Is that a bear? No, it's just a possum. But you think it is, and so you've got those fears going on, and it's dark, and all of a sudden, you hear the, the loudest crashing, and then you see these lights around the, the valley, and then you hear the loudest horn blowing going on, and surely you're thinking, what the world? And because there's too many different armies joining together to kill Gideon, Everybody picks up the sword and starts whacking anybody he doesn't know. <laughs> Seriously. And, and Jerubbaal just sets up on the hill and just watches them all kill each other. And the Lord hands him a victory and reminds him, you didn't do anything except what I told you to do. And that's why you won because you were willing to listen. So I'm reading this story, and I'm thinking, you know, kind of been there before. Gideon was planning on bringing so much glory to God, but he was going to do it. I graduated Bible college in 1993, and I remember graduating and, you know, not, not being in an arrogant way, but just thinking, 
They're going to turn me loose on this world. People are going to come to Jesus. Billy Graham, move over. Here comes Joe Wood. It's like Billy Graham don't know who Joe Wood is. He does now because he can see it all. But he didn't then. And I'm sure that Gideon was just like, I got 32,000 soldiers. Move over, Midian. We're coming down in the valley. And God said, yeah, not so much about you. Just like he did me. Won't you just step back, Joe Wood, and just, you just let me do my thing, and you just make yourself 2023 available. Just make yourself available to me. And there it was. Gideon was trying to do the right thing, the thing that made sense. And God's like, nope. And when you look at the numbers, you think, was it even possible? And so I want to share some thoughts that I think are incredibly important to whatever it is that you're going through today. So just take a deep breath. I haven't done this in a long time, so let's just do this, okay? Take a deep breath. Hold it for a couple seconds. And now just let it out slowly because I believe the Lord has something he wants to say to you. And this is it. If you were not called to it, it's not yours to do it. 20,000 men were not called to it. See? God set them apart. First, God invited Gideon to let go of 22,000 men. And can you imagine Gideon's thinking? And sometimes God has to say to you and I, hey, let's get together and let's talk about giving up sin. Let's talk about, what, I mean, what is God asking you to give up? Gideon gave up 22,000 men to do the work of God. And God is telling you and I, I want you to give up sin because there's things I want you to do. I want you to give up your life goals if you can trust me in this because there's a work that I want you to do. I want you to give up your material things and not let them hinder you because there's something that I want you to do. I might want you, this is God's, I might want you to give up a dream because there's something that I want you to do. And then God told him to let go of the next 9,700 men. It was still what he had in his hands. So now you, can you imagine God going from your sin, your life goals, your material things, and saying, now I want you to give up your job, your career, and your money. Or I want you to leave your geographical location. Are you available to God Almighty? Are you available to God Almighty? Then the Lord said, with those 300 men, I want you to conquer a national army. This is what I understood from a Google search. With 300 men, Gideon was outnumbered 450 to 1. You say, oh, that's a lot of people. Hold on. Let me just make it a little more simple for you. Each man in Gideon's army was responsible that day with his sword to kill 450 people. you got to meet your quota, people, or we're going to die. Now think about it that way. You've been called into Gideon's army, and you strap on your sword, and God says, now I need you to go down into that valley and each of you only has to kill 450 people. Kind of like 
prophet on top of Mount Carmel when the fire came down. 450 people plus another 400 um, pagans. 850 people. Wow. That's what the picture looks like just before Gideon moves forward. And this is where God calls you, just like he did Gideon. When you know this is what you were called to do, it's time to step out in faith. It's time to step out in faith and trust the Lord. It didn't make any sense to Gideon, I'm sure, but the scripture tells us in Isaiah 55, for my thoughts are not your thoughts and neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And that's why when I went over to Asbury and I saw what the Lord was doing, I was not there to dictate what was and was not the Lord because my thoughts are not the Lord's thoughts and my ways are not the Lord's ways, but I need to just stay out of God's way. And I need to join in when I can join in. And if there's something that I don't feel comfortable joining in, then it's okay for me to not join in. But at the end of the day, you're in Richmond, Kentucky. What I want to know is when God whispers into your ear that he wants you to join in, are you going to join in? When he invites you to invite your neighbor to church, are you going to join in? When he invites you to repent, are you going to join in? When he invites you to worship, are you going to join in? Are you hungry yet? Because I'm a little bit nervous about what the Lord is going to have to do, and I believe he's going to do it, to make us hungry. I don't know about you, but I look around this world and I think it can't get much worse, can it? And I assure you it can. Biblically speaking, I assure you it can. And at some point, we have got to get hungry enough to start living our lives the Lord's way. We have got to make decisions based upon what we believe God is actually asking of us. We have got to come to the place where we believe that the Lord God Almighty, who loves us so much that he sent his son down here to die for us, still wants to talk to us and tell you, I need you to do this for me. Because he loves you. My thoughts, the Lord said, are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways. I teach a class on leadership, and I'm teaching a class, and I told them yesterday, when you get to the place where you say in the sermon, now let me wrap this up, wrap it up. <laughs> Don't go on for another 25 minutes. Billy Graham says, wrap it up at that point. So let me wrap it up and do it in less time than that. Here's a word for you. Write this down. On your heart, on your iPhone, on your paper. You are carrying too much. You decide what that means. You can't take 32,000 whatever to go do what God has called you to do. He's going to winnow it down. You can't carry that much. Put, put, just put the sin down, confess it, go make it right, but set it down. And here's, here's the thing I want to say about that. I don't want to say, you're all sinners. That's not what I want to say. I want to say, God forgives you in the person of Jesus Christ. Put your sin down and don't pick it up because it belongs to him now. He got beat to death 
to buy it. Why would you take it away from him and make small the gift that he gave you when he paid for your sin? The very phrase, Jesus paid for your sin, means he owns it and paid the penalty for it. So don't pick it back up. Set down your hate. Set down your hurt. Set down your expectations even of God. Set down your demands of other people, your husband, your wife, the people in your life, your boss. Put down those demands that they have to, to, to dance to, to meet your personal expectation. Put it down. Put it down. Hebrews says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. I'm not talking about sin. Let us throw off the things that are slowing you down, keeping you back, keeping you from running. Get rid of 22,000 men, then another 9,700, and run fast after Jesus. Throw off everything that hinders you and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, for the, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorned its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, and consider him, Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you don't grow weary and give up on Jesus and give up on God and give up on church and apostatize yourself. I keep hearing the, what's the phrase there? We're deconstructing our faith. No, you're not. You're walking away from it. Pick it back up and surrender to it instead of demanding that it perform for you. And you'll embrace a whole different relationship with the Lord. Write this down. You cannot be everything to everyone else. You can't. You cannot be everything to everyone else. Stop trying to be super mom. Stop trying to be the perfect dad. Stop comparing yourself to other people. You're not them. You're not them. You don't live in their house. You don't work where they work. You don't have their kids. You don't have their dogs. You don't have their... You are not them. You don't have to measure up to them. It's okay. The weight of measuring up is too big for you to carry. Write this down. Be the best you that is possible. All Gideon had to do was get rid of the weight of an army that caused him to wonder if God could wipe out 135,000 people with 32,000 people and trust that he could do it with 300 because it's so absurd, it's ridiculous. Nobody would do this. So it has to be God. Your life is a gift from God, somebody once said. What you do with it is your gift back to God. Trying to be somebody else will never be a blessing to God. Being the best you possible will be amazing. Dream, but don't let it steal your life. And please do not live for someday. Don't ever live for someday. Write this down. You are doing a great job. There are people in here that do not believe 
that they're doing a great job. <clears throat> and it's because you keep comparing yourself to people around you. But I was told to write this down on my paper. You are doing a great job. When you fall, get back up. And keep moving forward. Because the Lord your God is going to let the enemy in the valley destroy itself. And just like he told Moses, just stand here and watch. God loves you so much. And it may not feel like it, but he is working on your behalf as you follow him. Are you carrying too much right now? Is the load too big? Do you wonder where God is? I want you to know that he's right here. And he wants you to just put it in his hand. Pastor Joe, how do I put it in his hand? I come forward and I say, Lord, I don't understand what you're doing. And at days it feels like it's too big for me to handle. And so I need your help and I'm going to put it right here, Lord. I'm going to put it right here in front of you and I'm going to say, God, you're going to be here to help carry it or to carry it. And that's what we want to do. So I want to invite you to your feet. If any of this makes personal sense to your heart right now, do me a favor and come up here. If you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this was for you, just do me a favor and come up here. These people are up here because they're going to pray for you. You just come on right on up here. It makes all the sense in the world. Yeah. I know there's more prayer team members in here that have been trained, and I need you up here right now. Please. I believe that the Lord God wants to do something in your life. And I think he wants you to understand that you may be listening to the wrong voices when you feel like the worst mom in the world. You're trying to get through it as a single parent, and you feel like you're losing. And I believe that the Lord wants to come alongside of you. I believe that there are times in your life that, that you're listening to the enemy say, you'll never get picked, you'll never be good enough, you're never going to be successful, so just, just deal with it. That's not true. Just don't listen to the world's definition of success. Trust the Lord. These people are up here to pray for you. There's a couple of people down there yet. We're going to go into this song. We're going to kind of keep it down, can we? We're going to keep it down. Um, but we want to have a ministry time because I believe that God wants to wrap his arms around you and call you his own. I believe that with all of my heart. Some of you need to leave your sin up here and go back home and change your lifestyles. Some of you need to understand that that weight's not yours to carry. Some of you need to let go of your fears and know that the Lord's gone ahead of you and the 300 that your family represents is everything that God needs to see you become successful and amazing as you follow him. And I want to encourage you with that. So let's just come to the Lord in prayer. Fathers, we come before you right now.
the 32,000 people that we live with, Lord, whether it's our house, our 401k, our, our spouses, our families, whatever that is that makes us feel absolutely safe and secure, God, I come to you and I say, forgive us for relying on them when we know that you are our God who wants to do amazing things in our lives. God, we've been caretaking for so long. We've been, we've been just struggling, wanting you to show up at the front door. God, I, test, I, I confess, I want you to sit in the chair next to me if you want me to keep going. We don't always get it right. Sometimes we sin, but we come before you and we recognize that all of the production in this building doesn't mean diddly squat to you. What you're after is our heart. We just want to come and give you the best that we have to give you, Lord. That's all we're after. So we come and we say, come Holy Spirit. Be upon us right now. Take our 22,000, take our 9,700 and show us that if we will walk with you, amazing things will be put out of our pathway, God. And we will, we will glory in your victory as you provide for us and do amazing things. We thank you for this in Jesus' holy name.